Father, we do thank you for this morning and the gift that the church is to us and um, the gift that we have in Jesus Christ to be able to worship you and worship you together and love one another and be encouraged by one another. And I just pray this morning and that, that you would focus our hearts in on you, help us to worship you, um, and uh, just pray that you would teach us your word, that spirit, that you would produce fruitfulness from your truth. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, open up, if you will, to Galatians chapter six, Galatians chapter six. And I love the illustration that the New Testament gives us of the church as the body of Christ, because it's a perfect illustration of how the church works, that we are critically integrated into the lives of one another. And our own spiritual health depends on those around us. And those around us, their spiritual health depends on us doing our part. It's a great illustration. And what I would challenge us with as we start to look at Galatians 6 this morning is first of all, as individuals, do we recognize that we are a part of the body of Christ if we are in Christ. If we are followers of Jesus, then we are a part of the body of Christ. And either we are a healthy part of the body of Christ that adds to the nourishment of the overall body, or we are detractors. But either way, if you are a follower of Christ, you inevitably are a member of the body of Christ. Second, the second thing I would challenge us with is, do we take that seriously? Do we take that seriously? I want us to think about those things as we look at Galatians chapter six. In Galatians chapter six, what we find as we get to the end of this letter is Paul is helping us with practical application of doctrine. Paul does that regularly. You look at Paul's writings in the beginning of the letters are pretty often focused on theology and doctrine. Here's truth and here's how the truth works. And then when he gets to the second half of his letters or the end of them, he starts to turn towards how do we apply those things? How should these truths be lived out? And um, what, what do these truths look like in our lives? Galatians follows that pattern. The first five chapters, definitely the first four and then five is kind of a blend very focused on doctrine, specifically that we are justified by faith in Christ apart from the works of the law. That is the doctrine, the truth that Paul is hammering home. And then in chapter five, he begins to make that transition that carries over into chapter six of, okay, now that we know these truths, what should our lives look like as those who have put our faith into Jesus Christ? But we can also break down the letters of Paul in another way. When it comes to the application part, what we so often see with Paul and what we definitely see in Galatians here is he talks to us as individuals. He talks to us as an individual follower of Christ. Here's what your life should look like. Here's what you should pursue. But he doesn't stop with our individual lives. He always connects us to the body of Christ and connects us to one another 
corporately as the church, we don't live out the Christian life in isolation. We don't live out the Christian life on an island, but we live out the Christian life integrated with one another as a part of the body of Christ. In chapter five of Galatians, Paul talked a lot about life in the spirit and the command to live lives of obedience empowered by the Holy Spirit. But in chapter six, he's going to enlarge on that. And like I said, show us what does this look like as interconnected members of the body of Christ. And as you do this, think about that illustration of the body and how it works and how if one part is not healthy, the rest suffers. We are integrated into the lives of one another. Already in chapter six, he's talked about assisting one another to live in obedience to Christ. He's talked about bearing one another's burdens, that we should live with humility towards one another. And as we look at verses six to 10, Paul is going to instruct us as individuals to actively nurture the body of Christ. Another way you could say it is Paul is going to instruct us to actively invest in the church. I I get, I, I shied away a little bit from that language because when we hear the word invest and invest in the church, just that word invest might make us think finances, right? Like finances is what we're going to talk about. And I think as we look at the chapter six today, we could easily go to finances, but that's just one component. What we're going to see and talk about is that there are many, many different ways as individual members of the church that we contribute to the life and the overall well-being of the church. And we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 12 real quick and see how this isn't, what Paul's teaching doesn't apply to just some members of the church. We have that temptation, right? To think like, well, I'm a new believer or I'm an immature believer or I've got these struggles in life. There's not really anything I can add. No, 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 absolutely not the case. This applies to each and every single one of us, no matter where you're at in your Christian walk. If you are on this earth and you are part of the body of Christ, the expectation is that you are serving the body of Christ and that you are playing a part in nurturing, investing in the body of Christ. So I'm gonna use the invest language as long as you all promise me that when you hear that, you're not gonna just think finances, okay? We're gonna use the invest language, but there's, as we're gonna see, many ways to invest in the church. And Paul wants us to actively do that. Bear in mind as we read this, that Paul's writing to local churches throughout the region of Galatia. And I'm always a little surprised when people tell me that, you know, I'm a Christian, but I'm not really a part of the church. Like I, I can be a Christian without being in the church. I don't see anywhere in the Bible where it says you have to be a part of the church. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, Paul's letters don't even make sense outside of the context of the church. He's writing to churches. He's saying, this is what you need to be doing as a follower of Christ. And it is integrated into the body of Christ, into the local churches. 
And there's two areas this morning that we're gonna look at where Paul tells us to invest in the local church. The first area is our leaders. And the second area is more broadly one another. Our leaders and one another. Those are our two sections. Section one, caring for church leaders. Section two, caring for one another. So let's look at the first part, caring for church leaders. He says in verse six, the one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. There are two groups here, the taught and the teachers. And there's those who are preparing and delivering the ministry of the word and those who are being ministered to, those who are receiving it. And what Paul is saying here is that if somebody is willing to work hard, to labor in the word, to invest in the church through the ministry of the word of God, we should be faithful and taking care of them. We should be faithful of taking care of them. And I'm not sure as individual church members, especially if we're newer to the church, if we realize how hard of work church ministry can be. Now, as I go into this, what I want you to be very clear on is I'm not saying, oh, we need to be feeling bad for our church leaders. They have it tough. Look, I know all of our pastors very well personally, and I can 100% guarantee you that serving this church is the absolute joy of their life. You would not be able to get them for any amount of money to do anything else. I, I know them personally, and so I can promise you that they love serving the church, but it's hard work. It is hard work. If you are going to be a faithful minister of the word, it's much more than a full-time job, much more. It's a life commitment. It is an absolute commitment. Just think through the various components of what makes a faithful minister of God's word. And also keep in mind that, I don't know if you're, maybe this is just me, but generally what everybody else is doing looks easier than I'm sure it actually is, right? You see people doing things and that's just not in the church. That's just like anywhere, right? You see people doing things and you're like, ah, that job doesn't look too hard. But when you get into it, it's often even harder than it looks on the surface. But to get up and just deliver a faithful sermon is in and of itself a full-time job. But there's much, much more that goes into the life of a pastor than just the faithful sermon. They have to be organizing ministries. They have to be making sure the finances of the church, the bills are being paid, that those things are in order. They have to train other staff, hire staff. They have to train volunteers, organize volunteers. There's meetings that have to be conducted, right? Um, facilities that have to be cared for, or in our case, maybe even more challenging, built, right? One-on-one um, uh, -on -one discipleship has to happen. Counseling has to happen. Weddings, they need to be performed. And with the weddings, you need counseling. You gotta do the counseling. Funerals, and people don't really plan when they're gonna die at convenient times, right? Like you don't get to schedule those things. 
near funerals where accidents just happen and as the pastor you're expected and you want to be there to minister to those people in their time of needs and frankly just any kind of life crisis that you can possibly think think of these things all come up and must be faithfully handled by the minister of God's word on top of preaching God's word faithfully every single Sunday. And then often not just on Sunday, right? But various special events in between. And I know at my job that when unexpected things come up, surprises come up, not always, but very often you can look at other things you were supposed to attend to and email those people and say, hey, some things came up, I'm gonna need to reschedule with you, right? Or this project that was due, it's gonna be a few days late because all these things came up and people generally are like, okay, yeah, cool, no problem. But Friday afternoon, Pastor Dusty doesn't get that luxury of sending out an email like, hey guys, we had a few more issues come up than expected this week in the church. So Sunday morning, we're gonna go ahead and just cancel that. We'll pick up next week, right? It's like the expectation is a faithful sermon, which again, in and of itself is basically a full-time job. And then all the things that come with it. The point that Paul is making here is that as the church, as individual members of the body of Christ, and I'm not just talking about Pastor Dusty, I'm talking about our elders, and I'm talking about our associate pastors as well, we should be very thoughtful, appreciative, cognizant of the life sacrifice that they make to serve Jesus Christ and his church. And we should honor that and faithfully love them and care for them as members of the flock. They invest their lives into caring for us. We should be willing to care for them. And again, I promise you, I've talked to, I know all our pastors very well and they love serving the church. It is the joy of their lives and you couldn't get them to do anything else, but still challenging sometimes, right? It is still challenging. And Paul says, the one who is taught, that is all of us, the one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Now, how do we do that? Paul says, share all good things. How do we do that? And like I said, it isn't just about finances. Finances are part of it. I mean, pastors, especially if, if at all possible, and in our context, in society, it's possible, our pastors should be able to reasonably take care of their families. They should be reasonably provided for. On the one hand, pastoral ministry should never be entered into for the purposes of financial gain. There are people that do that. And we see examples of that uh, in, in our country. And that is absolutely wrong. But at the same time, that, like we've been studying Galatians, like there's no merit to be earned with God through vows of poverty, right? Like um, in our context in society where we live in a area that's well provided for financially by God, we should share in that with our pastor that they, our pastors, that they can reasonably provide 
for their family. So the financial piece is part of this, absolutely. But we got to think bigger than that. I mean, frankly, finances, when it comes to giving and helping people can be the easy part, right? You write a check and walk away and you don't have to think about loving them or caring for them in any other way. Sometimes giving people money is just the easy way to serve if you have it, right? So it's about finances. But when Paul says share all good things with them, it is about a lot, a lot more. When you think about our elders and our pastors, do you pray for them regularly? And I mean, almost every single day, every day's the goal really, I would give you to aim for, but you know, at least regularly, they should be on your hearts to pray for them, which means you need to know them and you need to invest in their lives enough to know what, what are their circumstances? What are their families like? What are their needs? So that you can be praying for those things. Serve in the ministries of the church. Because guess what? It doesn't matter how faithful and great our pastors are, they can't do it all. And that's not the way God's created the church. God wants us all to be involved in the healthy functioning of the body of Christ, every single one of us. And so there's not an exception every single one of us should be serving the church. You wanna encourage our pastors? Serve faithfully in the church. You couldn't bring them more joy, not simply because it helps the church function. Yes, that's part of it. But even more importantly, it's their joy to see us as the members of the body health, healthily, in a healthy way, functioning as part of the church, encourage them, send them emails of encouragement or give them words of encouragement. Cause in life it's okay. How many, we all, many of us work, right? How often do you get words of discouragement at work? And it doesn't matter how good of a job you do. Like I can do something and 90% of the people that I work with will be like, Brandon, you did a fantastic job. But there's gonna be one person in the back that's gonna send me an email with like literally eight things that I've done wrong. That we, it's just part of life, right? Well, that happens to our pastors as well. Discouragement can come from various angles. Be a word of encouragement to them. Tell them that you love them. Tell them that you appreciate them. Tell them that you think they're doing a fantastic job. Be encouraging. Meet material needs that aren't necessarily financial. Somebody's sick, find out who's organizing meals. If nobody's organizing meals, do it. If somebody is, asking how can I help? Like, how can I contribute? Here's a big one. Be growing spiritually. You know, our pastors invest in the church and serve the church because they love Jesus Christ. They want him glorified and they want to see us growing in Jesus Christ. Be a joy in their life by growing spiritually, by being a healthy member of the body of Christ. As we're gonna see in the rest of our passage this morning, Paul is telling us 
to care for one another as the body of Christ. And the one another's that we talk about come out strong in Galatians chapter six. But as we care for one another, minister to one another, love one another, he wants us to make sure we are including our pastors in that. He's drawing special attention to our pastors, our leaders, that as individual, individual members of the body of Christ, as we serve to nurture the body of Christ and invest in the body of Christ, be sure our leaders are a part of that. Now he turns our attention to caring for one another, the broader body of Christ. And I'm gonna read verses seven to 10, the rest of our passage here. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. What Paul does here is, in in the second section, is the first thing he does is he gives us a principle, a law that God has created and and put before us here. He gives us a principle and we're going to talk about that principle and then he's going to show us, okay, here's how that principle should be thought of and applied when we look to serve the body of Christ. So the principle here is verses seven and eight. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. If we For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And at first glance, it kind of seems disjointed. Like where where is he coming from with this? How, How does this fit when it comes to this exhortation to serve the body of Christ? It's very similar to what he told us in chapter five, when it came to just our individual striving to um, live, walk by the spirit. But what he's gonna do is he's going to strengthen this exhortation to serve one another, this reminder to be faithful in serving the body of Christ. He's gonna strengthen that exhortation by reminding us of this spiritual principle that he just showed us. If you want, to be spiritually fruitful and fruitful for the kingdom of God, it's about where are you investing your energy? Where are you investing your time, your work and your efforts? Is it in the things of the spirit, which is in serving the church of Christ faithfully, or is it in the things of the flesh? Because he told us, right? In chapter five, verse 16, if in your individual life, you wanna be fruitful, he says, I say, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. So when it came to our individual lives, he told us, hey, if you wanna be spiritually fruitful, invest in the things of the spirit, right? But like we mentioned at the beginning, this isn't about just us as individuals, it's about the body of Christ and the same principle applies to serving in the body of Christ. If we want the church to be fruitful, 
for the kingdom of God, invest in the things of the spirit corporately, not the things of the flesh. And he starts in verse seven, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. This is just, God has created spiritual laws. He's created natural laws and you can't fight against them, right? You can't fight against the natural laws that God has created. If you can go on top of the roof and mock God and just mock his creation of gravity. And I don't care how fast you can beat your arms. If you go jump off, God's natural laws are gonna win, right? You're gonna hit the floor. You're gonna go splat. You can't fight against God's natural laws, but it's the same with his spiritual laws, right? You can't expect to invest in the things of this world, invest in the flesh and reap spiritual benefit. It doesn't happen. You can't mock God's natural laws. Oftentimes as people, that's what we do, right? We fall into these patterns of self-deception that I can be spiritually lazy and be okay. I can be lazy, since we're talking about the church here, I can be lazy towards the church and be okay. I can, I can dabble in a little bit of sin and be okay we fall into these patterns of self-deception. And Paul's saying, no, the laws spiritually that God have put, has put in place, God cannot be mocked. You, you see this self-deception on a grand scale, right? Like Frederick Nietzsche, Ernest Hemingway, people who openly mocked God, challenged the things of God and their lives end in just total ruin. And disaster, but that's not really Paul's concern here. When you see Paul say, hey, God isn't mocked, Paul's writing to the church. He's writing to believers in Jesus Christ. What this tells me is that we, even as followers of Christ, can be in danger of not taking God's word seriously of not taking our lives, our pursuit of Christ, our lives in the church seriously. I mean, it's a, it's a warning that when it comes to the spiritual laziness that we can sometimes be tempted to, nothing good is gonna come from that. Whether it's laziness in prayer, Bible study, fellowship in the church. It can be easy to let our guard down. It can be easy to be, um, become complacent, especially when things are going good in life. Have y'all ever noticed that? When things are challenging in life, I'm very aware of my minute by minute dependence on God's grace. And, you know, I think sometimes God keeps challenges in my life because I seem to stick a lot closer to him when, and trust me, whether things are good or bad in life, am I dependent every moment on God's grace and goodness? Absolutely. That doesn't diminish at all. But when things start going good, maybe I start to get a little bit of that self-deception going on. I think I can do this. And spiritual laziness can often creep in. And what's interesting too, is there's no neutrality 
you're either growing in Christ and investing in the things of the spirit or you're investing in the flesh and going backwards. You can't just sit still. And so our choice is just as it was in Galatians chapter five, and we we think about like our individual walks with Christ, it's the same as we think of our service in the body of Christ. Our choice is to invest in the things of the spirit or invest in the things of the flesh. And Paul is warning us here, don't think you can just invest in the flesh, invest in the things of this world and get away with it. If you're investing in the flesh at sooner or later, you're gonna reap the flesh. But if you invest in the spirit, the things of the spirit, sooner or later, you reap the things of the spirit. You reap what you sow. You collect returns on what you invest in. Again, not a new principle. It's very much the same that we saw back in chapter five. If you, verse 16, walk by the spirit and you'll not carry out the desires of the flesh. Now Paul is just broadening this out and showing how it applies in serving the kingdom of God and serving the body of Christ. Just as we're to invest in our own spiritual growth, we invest in the spiritual growth of others. We put our efforts, our work, our time into nurturing the full body of Christ. And so how does that apply? How does this principle of investment and returns apply? Look at verses nine and 10 again. He says, let us not lose heart in doing good for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of faith. The same diligence we apply in our individual spiritual growth, we apply it to the church. And sometimes church work can be hard, right? Sometimes it can be hard. Often it can be hard. Uh, He acknowledges that I think in verse nine, he says, let us not lose heart in doing good. And that's one of the things I always love about God's word is it's honest with us. It doesn't candy coat things. It's honest with us and just about every aspect of the spiritual life that sometimes there's going to be challenges. This isn't heaven, by the way. Like our, even in the best of churches, it's still gonna be made up of people whose lives are challenged with sin. It's still gonna be in the environment of a fallen world. So when you hear people talk about like, oh, I used to go to church, but then I got really discouraged by this or that. Well, it's like, okay, well, church isn't heaven. Like we haven't reached glory yet. And so as long as we are made up of imperfect members of the body of Christ, we're gonna hit challenges, right? Even in the most faithful of churches, we are going to hit challenges. And so Paul tells us, keep on in per in perseverance. And it can be from just the practical standpoint. If you're part of the setup crew, is it gonna take a sacrifice for you to get here every Sunday morning at 7 a.m.? Absolutely, absolutely. It takes a lot of work as you look around here and you see all this, like you show up, if you're like me at nine o'clock and it's done. It's like, hey, it's like with the clothing and food at my house. My wife does it all. Like clothes just show up, 
food just shows up. I really don't know how it gets there. It seems really easy, but I know there's some hard work behind it, right? Like it's the same thing for me when I show up at church. People have worked really hard. They have sacrificed to make all this happen. Or what about taking time away from your family to go visit people in the hospital? It's a sacrifice. The children's nursery is a terrifying place. I'm scared. Like you think, it, you think it's more relaxing to sit in here on a Sunday morning and listen to Pastor Dusty or be back there wrestling with two-year-olds? It's sacrifice. It's sacrifice. We could go on and on. But any aspect of church ministry that you can think of involves sacrifice, does it not? And here's the thing. We love doing it. We love, it's an incredible joy to know that you are serving the body of Christ. It's an incredible joy to know, first of all, that the almighty creator of this universe, that you belong to him and get to glorify and serve him. I mean, just that in and of itself is really beyond comprehension. But then to think that we get to come and pour into the lives of each other and to help each other grow spiritually in, in eternal ways. I mean, anything I do at work, at best has like, what, a five to 10 year lifespan? <laughs> that who cares? And then even like things I do at a bigger level on this planet, who knows, not gonna last that long, right? But like here we get to invest in things that'll last for eternity. And that's an incredible joy. And even in the midst of that joy, we can get tired and we can get weary. We can get tempted to pull back and maybe focus a little bit more on ourselves and our own circumstances. Paul is acknowledging that, that here. But what he's saying is keep persevering with the end in mind. Keep your mind set on that eternal horizon. That if you sow, let us not lose heart for in doing good, for in due time you will reap if you do not grow weary. That's one of the challenges of life, the due time piece, right? We want things immediate. We want things right away. And oftentimes in life, you, it's a due time kind of thing, right? It's an investment knowing that we are working on an eternal time scale. Think just about the children's ministry. I know many of you that have faithfully poured into my two-year-old, faithfully. And I'm gonna tell you right now, my two-year-old is not that spiritual. She's got a lot of issues, we're working, but she's great. But it, it's an investment that when you, anytime you invest in children ministry or any aspect of the church, you're looking at that eternal time scale. You're looking at things that potentially won't produce fruit for many, many years. But in due time, we will reap if we do not grow weary. And he boils it down real simple for us in verse 10. He just makes it real clear. He says, so then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who are the household of faith. First, he says, as we have opportunity, 
as we have opportunity. Look, when it comes to serving in the body of Christ, I've said it a few times, there's not an exception to that. If you're in here and you're a follower of Christ, the expectation is in one way or another, you are serving the body of Christ. There's no exception, but God has gifted us in very different ways to do that. And each way is essential, is critical. There's no bad gifts of the spirit, right? It's the gifts of the spirit through which we serve the body of Christ. Listen to 1 Corinthians 12, four to seven. I'm just gonna read it for you real quick. Paul there tells the Corinthians, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Each one. For if you're a follower of Christ, that means the Holy Spirit dwells within you and the Holy Spirit has a unique way of working through you to feed the rest of the body of Christ. Whether that's through service, whether that's through giving, whether that's through teaching, that you could go on and on. There's no exhaustive list of the ways that the Holy Spirit uses people to serve the body of the Christ, but he does with each and every single one of us. And isn't that such a reassuring joy I don't know why, but as a young person, I look at life like when I was 12 years old and think, I'm not gonna be able to do this. Like, this looks complicated. I look at adults and what they're doing out there and like you go to the store and everything's like 40 bucks. I'm like, I got $10, uh, this isn't gonna work. So like, but when I came to this realization that if God has me on this planet, it's actually for a purpose to serve him and serve the church. It was such a refreshing joy to my life that, okay, I can be meaningful for the kingdom of God. And it's not about me. It's not because I'm great or I'm inherently talented or have anything worthy in me, but it's because it's the Holy Spirit inside of me working through me for his purposes. However, God has gifted you, or as Paul says it, whatever opportunities he gives you to serve the church, do it faithfully. You're not gonna do it perfect. So you, you, it, it's just like, remember what Paul told the Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling with everything you've got, for it is God who is at work in you. Same thing here. Like you pour out your maximum effort, be as faithful as you can be, but recognize you're gonna fall short. You're not gonna be perfect. And that's where the grace of God overcomes our shortcomings, overcomes our weaknesses. We serve as, faithful as faithfully as we can, fully reliant on the grace of God and his spirit to make it fruitful. And if you don't know how God has gifted you, because that's a common challenge, right? You're like, okay, I wanna serve, but I really have no clue how God has gifted me. Look, just get involved in any way you can. And I promise you, God will lead you and make it clear to you the areas in which you are gifted. I promise, just get involved, find ways to start serving. God is sovereign, right? God is in absolute control. He's not trying to play games with you and make this complicated and hard to figure out. I have 
absolutely no doubt, if you start serving where there's opportunity to serve, God's gonna make it very clear to you through the church in your own heart, okay, here's where he has gifted me. Here's where I can see he's making me effective in the church. And he opens up those opportunities for you. Don't overcomplicate it. Just start serving and be faithful and be faithful. Also be okay where he hasn't gifted you. Don't be, if you try to do something and it doesn't work, okay, that's all right. I know still I'm a believer in Christ and I'm here on this earth. He's got something for me to be doing. Be okay where he hasn't gifted you. Be faithful where he has. I like what Paul throws in here on verse 10 also about how we should generally be a blessing to the world around us. He says, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. I like that. I like that. Because think about the place where you work or your extended family. Because I know immediate family and extended family, like those can be two totally different ball games, right? Like, you know, your immediate family you could be okay with, but you got that uncle, he's tough. Like your workplace, extended family, those who are in authority over you, those who are, those in whom you are in authority over, those who are under you, the people around us, we should be blessings in their lives. If they aren't believers, then the reason God has put you into their life is to glorify God and to point them towards Jesus Christ. You can't point somebody towards Jesus Christ and glorify God in their lives if you're mean, hateful, difficult to be around. You should be a blessing in the lives of the people that God has put around you pointing them to Christ. As Jesus said, we should be salt and light to this world, a force of good in this world. And when the world hates us, because it will, sometimes the world will hate us, let it only be for our faithfulness to Jesus Christ. If the world hates us because of Jesus Christ, we're okay with that. But if the world hates us because we're greedy, we are oppressive, we're we're hateful, that's not a good thing. As much as God gives us the opportunity, we should do good to all people around us, but here's the priority, especially to those, he says in verse 10, who are of the household of faith. That's the church. And again, how do we do that? Meeting material needs, when we see material needs in the church, people who need help and maybe it's just simple finances, maybe it's other ways. Uh, We're gonna go into James, I believe soon. And James talks about, hey, if you see your brother in need and you have a way to actually meet that need and to help them, like don't just say, hey, I'll pray for you and good luck. I mean, that's not to diminish prayer. Prayer is priority one, but sometimes maybe God intends to use you to meet that need. If God's given you the ability to do it, But prayer is absolutely critical. How do you pray for the people in your life? How do you pray for other members of the body of Christ? Do you even get involved enough in the lives of other people to know how to pray for them? Or 
Do you know them well? You know what their burdens are. You know what their needs are. And you meet those needs where you can, but even more importantly, you pray to our Father who can meet every need. How often, how fervently you pray for other members of the body of Christ says a lot about how well do you love the body of Christ. It goes back to the practical serving thing again. I think there's two important ways we need to serve the church. One is through formal ministries, right? Like we need to have people who we know are gonna be filling roles. So like somebody's gotta be here to show up, to tear up or set up, tear down. Like somebody needs to be available to get the kid check-in thing going. Somebody needs to be available to run the audio visual. Somebody needs to be doing, like we need, we can't just show up and be like, I hope somebody does it this Sunday. No, we got to actually assign that stuff and make sure those things are organized. There's formal ministries throughout the church and we need to all be making sure that in some way, whether it's through our small groups or discipleship programs, any way possible, we are serving formally in the church but there's also the informal aspects of serving that are just as critical. Showing up on Sunday morning with an outward attitude that, hey, I'm not here to be a consumer or to focus on my own heart, my own thoughts, but I'm here to get to know, love and encourage the people around me. Showing up on Sunday morning at small group, whatever you go to in a church function, showing up to serve and to love the people around you, to be an encouragement to those around you. Am I the only one that hears discouraging words like pretty regularly, be it at work or anywhere else? I know I do. Like I was off last week, so it was nice. People are asking, how was your week? I was like, well, I was off, but I know there's some big problems I'm going into tomorrow. And I don't know how I'm going to be held responsible for those. I have no idea what's going on, but it's probably not going to be that encouraging. We're going to all face many trials in a fallen world from all different angles and directions. Look for ways to love and encourage one another. Tell each other that you love each other. This is the body of Christ. And we're all part of it. There's not an exception. And so I challenge us. The application has kind of been spread throughout, but I challenge you. Do you think of yourself as a member of the body of Christ? And I hope you do, because if you're a follower of Christ, then you are. And so the next question is, okay, are you a healthy member? Are you a healthy organ? Are you a healthy limb who is contributing to the overall body of Christ, who is contributing to the health of North Lake Bible Church, because it takes every single one of us. There's no exception. There's no lesser ministries. The, every one of them is absolutely critical. Every one of them is the Holy Spirit working through us to glorify God and build up one another. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for the gift that is the church. Um, it's by your design and it's your gracious, loving design. And there's just no way we could live this Christian life apart from it. And we just thank you so much for your goodness. Pray that um, you would 
Help us as we worship you to love one another and to serve one another. Um, Show us where we can serve you more faithfully and uh, help us to do that. And just those where we lack, Lord, just help cover those, just cover those with your grace and pray that you would make us as individuals and as North Lake Bible Church fruitful for your kingdom. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.